Hey guys, it's David and Tyler, and we're at WonderCon 2014 here in beautiful Anaheim, California, home of your Anaheim Ducks and your Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. When I say your, the second time I'm literally talking about you, Tyler, because yes. you're an Angels fan. If I'm a fan of any sporting team, it is the... But what the, about the Colorado Rockies? Because uh, you, you used to have a Rockies hat that you wore all the time. Yes, well, because it was the hat that I had. Um, uh, yeah, I was a Rockies fan while we were while we lived there, but you know when we moved away from there, I reverted back to the Angels. So, okay, so uh, we're all caught up on that. Um, Tyler and I, as I mentioned, are here at WonderCon, um, and we, I think, had originally planned on doing um, a couple of these minisodes. Yeah, but panel wise, it was really just. It was mostly just Saturday that was the day with the movie-related panels. Yeah. And so it made more sense to just... Because uh, otherwise it would have been like a five-minute episode last night and the right. long one tonight. So uh, we're just going to talk about um, the whole two days, and I don't know if we'll see much movie-related tomorrow on probably the last not. day. yeah. So this will probably be the only uh, update, but we'll talk about it more on the regular show, uh, regular, you know, regular episode of, the, of Battleship Retention as well. Uh, so... Tyler, what did you do yesterday, uh, day one of WonderCon 2014? Well, I woke up and... I meant at the, at the convention. Oh, okay. Well, we made it in record time. Not record time, but I was expecting to spend a lot more time in traffic than we did. Yeah, it was a Which smooth. is to say almost any, uh, yeah. any time. But, um, so yeah, uh, there was a panel that I specifically wanted to attend, um, but it was at 1230 in the afternoon yesterday, and I didn't think we were going to make it, but we did. And so we more than made it. Yeah, it was great. And so um, I went to the uh, the spiritual themes in comics panel. Um, and this is mostly about the spirit. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. But they don't bring up they don't talk about any of the characters except the spirit. They just talk about the themes. Oh, OK. Um, and so. uh and that's and I've seen uh, like a couple of the panelists or guys that I've seen do panels on in, at Comic Con and stuff that talk about this. One of the guys named named uh, Buzz Dixon or something like that. He's like he's a longtime comic book like writer and and uh, artist and that kind of thing. And Sounds he, like a hard ass, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. Buzz Dixon. Yeah. yeah, it's like he's teaching my shop class. I'm sure um, in the 1950s. I imagine him with a crew cut. Yeah, he's not. He's actually remarkably approachable because I actually did talk to him afterwards because uh, he runs like the basically like the Christian Comics Association. I don't think that's what it's called, but, um, but yeah. So it was him and and a few other guys, including a, a pastor uh, working out of Los Angeles, uh, and just talked about like it, it. There's a lot of overlap between what they talk about and and what more than one lesson does, and. Uh, not surprisingly, they started talking about Noah and started talking mm-hmm. about all these other things and and uh, talked about how there are some people who some some Christians who feel like uh, you know with all the deviations in Noah that like oh they're Hollywood's just making fun of us and, and everyone's like pretty basically everyone on the panel said like uh, we should be careful about that uh, because at the moment it's just one movie uh-huh. and. Um, I don't think you can identify a theme, uh, and even if there are four or five, like if each one is specific to what that director likes to do, then it's just a continuous personal statement by people that are not Christians, and thus, what do you expect? When you say there's four or five, you're talking about four or five 
Noah movies, right? Yeah. Like, they're yeah. going to make Noah 2. Yeah. And Noah 3. Yeah, uh, it's like Hercules. Yeah. You know? Um, and so uh, so that was a great panel. I really liked it. I talked <laughs> There's to There's one people. Noah where he's, like, fighting ninjas somehow. Yeah. yeah. The one, aside from Noah himself and the Ark... The one con- the the only other consistent thing is rock monsters. They pop up in every okay. single one. Um, but yeah, so that was a great panel. I liked it a lot. And then I went to one that I had I was excited to to attend, and I almost didn't make it in. Uh, and it was called the the Men Who Made Batman, and it was about Bob Kane and Bill Finger. And I have heard a lot about Bill Finger uh, recently from what the fuck are you watching uh, host Kyle Anderson. And because Bob Kane basically gets all the credit, but Bill Finger is responsible for almost everything that makes Batman Batman, including his design, including his backstory, multiple characters. Uh, So these panelists were just talking about how Batman came together and, like, who deserves credit for some things. And then – but just when it started to look like like everyone was just looking to bash Bob Kane, like, they also contextualized and said, like, he came up in a time when – Comic books, you know, these days, if you read a comic book, it'll say, you know, written by this person, dr- you know, drawn by this person, inked by this person. You know, they give everybody their credit. Back then, mm-hmm. it was very common for one person to get the credit for writing, for, uh, you know, for like drawing everything, for inking everything. It's like, well, obviously that didn't happen, but it was just easier to do that. And so Bob Kane was just one of many people that did that. He tended to take it a little further. And did it longer than most, but that was more a function of the industry than him. He's not like the lone monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was, uh, it was really interesting, especially because there was uh, a rather impassioned back and forth during the Q&A between the panelists and an audience member who was very, who was very upset at, the, at Bill Finger for, like, in his view, stealing from sources like the shadow and stuff like that. And so as opposed to, he was definitely influenced by those things, but he didn't steal. And so it's, it and this went, guy just didn't see the difference. There. He didn't see the difference and they tried to explain it to him and it just didn't, he just didn't seem to get it. And so the, the moderator basically had to be like, all right, we need to stop it there. So, so yeah, I went to those two and then like, I took a little break to like check into the hotel and stuff. And, uh, then you and I went to, uh, another panel, that you stayed the whole time and I stayed for as much as I could stomach. Well, we'll get that to that in a second. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go back in time to my day. I went to uh, the only little TV thing I did. I won't talk too long about it because this isn't a TV podcast. But saw uh, the panel for WGN America's uh, foray into original programming called Salem, uh, and I. I, I really wish that I could recommend the show. Mm-hmm. It's got a good cast um, of character actors that, like, you might not uh, know. That, I mean, Shane West is the male lead, and then um, Xander Berkeley is another big name in it. But also, uh, I never know how to say his name. Is it Kevin Teig or Kevin Teague? Who was he was on Lost, uh, yeah. where he was where he was uh, uh, Locke's father. And oh, then, him! Oh, I love him. He was also. Um, Jason Siegel's father on Freaks and Geeks as well. Yeah. Uh, he's in it, and a uh, uh, character actor, or a British actor named uh, Ido Goldberg, who was on Secret Diary of a Call, Diary of a Call Girl. I've always had trouble saying that 
the name of that show. Secret Diary of a Call Girl. I think it's Diary of. I don't know. Uh, it's hard for me to go from a word that ends in a vowel and then the next word starts in a vowel. Yeah. Always throws me off a little Especially bit. Especially because one of the words is diary. Uh-huh. And so it sounds like you're saying diary of. Yeah, exactly. And that's no fun. Yes. Yeah. That's, I think you've got, you've hit on the head. So he's in it. It's got a, it had a, also Seth Gable, who was on, uh, Fringe fans will know who that is. Um, so it had a great cast, this Salem thing, and it definitely gets points for going, like, balls out in terms of just weirdness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it had, like, so a lot of crazy shit happens, even in the, it only showed it half an episode. Can you had, can you explain to the listeners about the scene that you oh, told we'll get me to about? That. We'll get okay, to that. Okay. But I first want to talk about the crazy shit because there's like like five minutes in, there's a like ritualistic magical abortion that happens where oh. like a woman out of wedlock has become pre- pregnant, and so a witch takes her out in the woods and gets rid of the baby for her through magic, where she like has like hallucinates that the Vines are growing up her legs, and then there's cockroaches all over her, and then she sees demons on the ground next to her, and she's sweating profusely, and then she snaps out of it, and her belly's flat again. It's really weird. That, and that's like five minutes in. And there's also... <laughs> did uh, you, so you saw... Did you see 25 minutes of, like, the, the pilot? Yeah, it's the first 25 minutes. Uh, the first... Okay. Yeah, and then, I mean, there's some creepy sexual stuff with Seth Gable plays Cotton Mather, and... Um, they definitely hint that he's not, uh, he's the reverend who's leading the witch hunt, right. but, uh, is not a morally sound person when it comes to young women. Uh, and so that, there was some really creepy stuff with that. Then there's one of the witches who, like, WGN is clearly, like, trying to go for the FX style, like, pushing the envelope basic cable. It's a 10 p.m. basic cable, you know, yeah. we're gonna say shit, and we're gonna, oh. um, get his, and then with this one, one of the witch that's, it's, just strategically the way that her arm or her hair fall, like her arm is or her hair falls, like she's completely naked for an entire scene. Okay. And they're just shooting it where like you're just not seeing nipple or whatever would cause it to be not <laughs> not allowable. Yeah. Um, so we see her naked and she has a nipple on her thigh that she uses to feed her familiar, which is a toad, which she keeps down her husband's throat. Everyone thinks her husband is sick. But really, she's just under his sway, and he has literally has a toad living in his throat. And so she coaxes the toad out of out of his throat, out of his throat, strips, and then feeds the toad from a nipple on her thigh, and then still completely naked, outer sh- or inner thigh, inner thigh. Okay. Um, and then still completely naked, shoves the toad back down her husband's throat before he can come to his senses and scream for help. <laughs> so. <laughs> These are the things that happen on Salem. I talk about this more than I had planned to. It's, because it's it sounds kind of great. But it's so also, well, then there's the, also, this, also this stuff I talked about with you, which was, uh, uh, so you know the trope, I know you know, I'm talking to a listener yeah. now. Uh, there's a scene where uh, someone is making an, a speech to a group of people, and he's in the wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and our hero is at the back of the crowd. We don't see him yet. But he speaks up, and then everyone's like, who's that? And then he steps forward as the crowd parts and yeah. confronts the guy. So in the 25 minutes I saw, that happens twice, um, including the first scene, which uh-huh. is Ido Goldberg, whom I mentioned, is in the stock. The, the, the stocks. He's being punished for uh, sex out of wedlock, and he gets branded with a, an F on his forehead. So he's known as a fornicator for the rest of his life mm-hmm. uh, now. And um, so after that happens, Shane West calls out from the back, 
judge not lest ye be judged. <laughs> and then the judge says, uh, by the way, the way I just did that is more, I, sh- I should have done it in the most contemporary sounding, because uh, Shane West is not making any attempt yeah. to seem like he's from 1685. He's, he's acting completely contemporary, and that's yeah. a big problem, because everyone else, most everyone else in the show is acting, maybe Shane West just doesn't have that that tool in his acting uh, I, That um, wouldn't surprise me. So he says, judge not lest ye be judged, and the judge says, gets angry and says, who said that? And then Shane West steps forth to the crowd and he says, Jesus. <laughs> and uh, at least in my row, everyone laughed. It's not meant to be a laugh line, but uh, people couldn't help themselves from laughing. Uh, oh and my gosh. So, yeah, the, as much as it, all the crazy stuff I mentioned before is crazy and, re- again, points for craziness. Yeah. Everything else about it is just so corny. So uh, I can't recommend that unless, I mean, I guess... Based on what I've said, people might not, not might now want to watch the pilot yeah. because you want to see all this crazy shit. I guess I understand that impulse, but it's not very good. Don't get your hopes up. Uh, then I went to a and I, there at that panel, I ran into our friend Aaron Newworth from mm-hmm. uh, the Out Now podcast and uh, WhySoBlue dot com, and uh, he and I went from there to uh, the Geek Magazine presents. Uh, I think it was called remakes reboots and requels yeah um and where they just discussed uh that sort of thing and uh it was actually pretty interesting and they got into some stuff that they talked about the kind of stuff you don't i mean they talked a lot about robocop and star trek and other things that have been uh you know rebooted or or, or whatever uh recently but they also talked about the maltese falcon and how there were that was like the third maltese falcon yeah. uh, and they talked about how in 1938 before the movie came out, people were saying Errol Flynn could never play Robin Hood because Douglas Fairbanks was the the quintessential Robin Hood, yeah. you know. And so, talking about the, the history that this isn't, it's there's a basically there's a recency fallacy among yeah. critics to say, you know, oh, that's all they want to make now. But that's they've been remaking stuff as long like within years of movies existing, there yeah. were remakes of movies. Well, and in some cases, I'll I'll bring up Maltese Falcon, like. In, it was, I believe, the third. One was called, I think, the Maltese Falcon. One was called, like, Satan Met a Lady or something uh-huh. like that. Uh, and the in that case, the attitude seemed to be, let's make it until we get it right. And then they got it right, and that was the end of it. Right. And so if, if you want to say it's like, why are they remaking good movies when the original is still around and still readily available, that's an argument to be made. Um but at the same time, like, yeah, this is not a new thing. I mean, like, Ten Commandments was made and remade, like, Hunchback and Notre Dame. Like, it's mm-hmm. just... Now, admittedly, those are adaptations, but, like, they just keep going back to yeah. that, and it's it's not a new phenomenon. Uh, so those are the interesting panel. And, I mean, the guy... Uh, I've seen him on panels before. He's one of the writers of X-Men First Class. His name's Ashley Miller, and he's got a... He's, he's good at panels because he's good at saying controversial things mm. uh, so basically he's saying when someone like the director of the robocop remake blames uh the studio you know for messing with his vision it's the director's fault for not saying fuck you to the studio in actually Miller's words which is uh, um okay crazy. like I, I don't really fully agree with that i think it's a conversation worth having but he much like the matt zoller sites article you and i were talking about before yeah despite his point he's intentionally making it in a way that's going to sound, uh, you know, um, inflammatory. Uh, yeah, people sign contracts. Like, <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, anyway, there's no so, there's no fuck you clause to my knowledge. Yeah. Uh, so that's that. Um, that was that panel, and then uh, yeah, then you and I were both at uh, for differing lengths of time. Yeah. Another Geek Magazine panel, which was uh, the movies of 1984, because yeah. uh, if you do the math, it's been 30 years. I don't know if people know, but it's exactly 30 years. Exactly 30 years ago, it was 1984. And this is a this is a thing that they do uh, every year. They started uh, two years ago. Oh, okay. And so last year at Comic Con, uh, this same group of people with a, you know a couple of changes of, sure. of cast, um, the uh, they talked about 1983, and it was and it was mostly a, a very interesting conversation. I mean, they talked about like some there are plenty of movies they made fun of. They made fun of, made fun of like Jaws 3D and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But um, but they also I wish I could remember them but at the moment I don't but like they also talked about like some of the lesser known movies that don't even fall into the like geek camp um, and uh, talked about movies that are very good that they recommend and and so it was it was interesting but I remember at that panel just being kind of frustrated because these guys are a certain type of not all of them but some of them are a certain type of certainly the moderators a certain type of geek uh-huh. that I don't like and that I want to rip my ears out when well, they... Explain what you mean by that. Okay. Here's the thing. I've read comments that say you and I laugh too easily at, at each other's jokes and at our own jokes. Are there recent think, comments? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. Because I feel like that was true of us early on. Probably. I think it's true of everybody that starts a podcast early on. And I think some of it is like probably covering nervousness. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, and so just there's, there's a certain self-satisfaction that comes with jokes in the geek community. Like somebody makes a joke that sounds like, like a knowing thing. Like, <laughs> well, I, I know how this works. And so I'm going to say this joke. It's like, we're all thinking it, but I'm, I'm saying it like it, there's a faux edginess to it uh-huh. at times. And just, but it's never remarkably clever. Yeah. Like the, the reason that we're all thinking it, nobody says because it's a very common thought. And so there's no point in saying it. <laughs> and so, um, so it's that kind of. We'll give uh, an example from maybe from this panel, perhaps. Uh, well, let me think of one. Um, <laughs> so, like for example, um, they were talking about um, Dune, uh, David Lynch's yeah. Dune, which I've I've seen parts of, but I've never seen all of. I would like to watch it at some point. Um, and they're they were making some interesting observations. Like the guy who was kind of designated to talk about Dune, he talked about like as a kid. It wasn't a kid. He was like a teenager. He had read Dune. He was excited to see the movie. And he hated it. He thought it was it was terrible. And he's certainly not alone in that. But uh, but he kept watching it. He would watch it over and over. He's like, I hate it. It's terrible. But I also kind of love it. And like that's, that's an interesting idea. Yeah. Because even when David Lynch makes a movie that's bad, you can't – it's still intriguing. So I like the idea of that. But anyway, so he was talking about like this weird uh, – uh, it was during the Dune conversation this came up, right? Yes, yes. And uh, that so, somebody has uh, like this uh, – like a, uh, a young – was it like a young boy that he has – that there's like a tube right. stuck in the boy or something like that? And it's very phallic. Yes. yes. And so, uh, so then the moderator, who is the, the worst offender of all of this, by the way, and that's the thing – like – Geek Magazine pops up on a lot of these panels, and it's always him moderating because he's uh-huh. like, I think. It one, actually it wasn't him on the um, three makes one. Maybe that's why I. Uh, that's probably why it was good. Um, <laughs> he was on the panel though. But oh, he, okay. he wasn't moderating. Uh, it, that's the thing, and I think being the moderator, like a person feels like they can chime in. Uh, 
no matter what. Whereas I think when you're on the panel, you have an understanding. It's like, all right, it's not my turn. Right. right. And so, uh, so maybe that kind of hemmed him in a little bit. But, uh, but he made a joke about Brian Singer. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, again, it's a young boy, phallic imagery. Yeah. And he said, that's, uh, you know, just another Saturday night at Brian Singer's house. Yeah. And, and people are like, oh, and he's like, oh, too soon. It's like, uh, it's always too soon for a bad joke. <laughs> right. uh, and by bad, I don't necessarily mean offensive. That's the thing. My first thought was like, it's like, uh, I was frustrated by the joke. And I thought like, you know, if these allegations are true, like a kid's life was ruined by this. Uh-huh. And it's like, yeah, but that, that kind of thing hasn't necessarily bothered me in the past from a humor perspective. And it's like, why does it bother me now? It's like, oh, because I'm not laughing. Yeah, because it's not funny. Because laughter will distract me from the horror, as uh, is the case with everything in my life. Um, <laughs> and uh, and so it just really bothered me. But that's the thing. He, I'm sure in the moment he thought he was being very clever. And then when people moaned, I'm sure in his own mind he thought, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty edgy. You know? And it's just that kind of – and then, of course, when he says, like, too, too soon, like, that – first off, I'm tired of that being a joke. It's not a joke. Yeah. It, yeah. It's just like that. You know what I'm tired of that being? What? A thing. Anyone else I'm tired of? That phrase. Yeah. Is that a thing? Yeah. I'm done with that. Let's move on from that. The I was watching – uh, like that, that's, a, that's a question that I have asked from time to time, but I don't – I've never asked it in, like, a knowing is, – is, like, is, is that a thing? I usually say I don't – is that an actual thing that I don't am not aware of? It happens all the time. But now I like, now I can't say that anymore yeah. because it's a common. In fact, usage. there's uh, we're uh, already off track, but uh, there's a show that I had to watch an episode of for Hey, watch this. Paul made me watch uh, this sitcom called Surviving Jack, mm-hmm. and I don't even remember what the thing was, but someone said something, and then one of the guys goes, oh, "That's not a thing." But here's the thing: Surviving Jack takes place in 1991. Oh yeah, that wasn't a. Something that people said. It wasn't a thing back then, saying yeah. that's not a thing. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so let's let's be done with that's not a thing. Yeah. Here's what else I want to be done with. All right. Um, if you say you're tweeting something and mm-hmm. you wanted to get across a piece of information, when you're done with the tweet, you can just put a period at the end and hit send. You don't have to say that is all. Oh, I hate it. I hate that is all so I much. It. It's the worst. I hate that. I hate this happens more on Facebook. But someone will post a link to something, and they'll just say this. Yeah. Oh, did you see that Gawker thing? No. Like, what is that? Uh, well, I know what Gawker is, but, but what, no. What, the, what is I guess the editor of Gawker sent out a memo saying no more internet slang and gave exa- <laughs> on Gawker and gave examples, and one of them was this nice. or this just happened. Those are not allowed anymore. Yeah. Uh, it was pretty awesome. It said from now on on Gawker, nothing will ever win the internet. Ugh. These things are these are all things that annoy the shit out of me, and I'm really glad that Gawker's taking a stand. And there was another one that, bo- that bo- has been bothering me recently, but uh, mercifully, I can't think of it right now. Otherwise, I'd be much more angry. <laughs> um, but yeah, and so the 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 84 panel, I was excited about it, um, but like that joke happened, and I was like, okay, I'm not thrilled with that. That that's not enough to drive me from the room. But then they got to Red Dawn. I grew up watching Red Dawn. Yeah, I, I was crazy about it. Yeah, I recognize it's not that good of a movie. But the guy that they decided to have talk about it, he hadn't seen it before. And so he watched it the night before and he thought, I think rightfully so, he's like, I think it's interesting that uh, to have the perspective of somebody on this, you know, with this yes. movie that had never seen it before. A movie that couldn't be more of its time. Yeah. You know, and he rightfully said that, but everybody on the panel and in the audience, they were too busy booing him for, incidentally, you, you can't go back yeah. 
to when it came out and watch it. Yeah. Like he has only one choice, which is yeah. do I watch it a week before the panel or the day before the panel? <laughs> like those are your two options. Like whenever you're told this is what you're going to be talking about, that's when you have the choice to make. And so like – and rather than say, well, I didn't see it at the time, so maybe I'll talk about something else. He said, oh, maybe this is an interesting perspective. But like the people on the panel weren't having it. The people in the audience weren't having it. It's like – this could have been a good conversation, but nobody's interested in that. So I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm walking away. Yeah. So I just went and walked the floor. Uh, I, I hung out, but, uh, yeah, there wasn't, they just didn't go in depth on anything. They were just more like, essentially it turned into just sort of naming movies. It turned into an early episode of Battleship Pretension, where <laughs> we would just try to like name as many things that fit the topic as possible and not yeah. go very in depth. Whereas now we pick a topic and we talk about three movies. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe a little bit more, I'm exaggerating, but, yeah. uh, by the way, I thought of more internet slang that bothers me, and maybe okay. one of these is the thing that uh, annoys you. I hate because blank as opposed to yes, instead of the because one. of something. That's the one. I hate it. I hate it so. I've much. I hated that from the beginning. It's. I think I. I think I. May, I don't. I don't. Don't think I would ever find it clever, but. Um, but I understand, like, oh, I see. Somebody's talking about like the like this is the essence of this thing, and that's why it exists. You know. Right. Um, but it became so common yeah. that I was like, I hate, yeah, I hate this. Yeah, you know, and you know what one is the same for me that I liked the first couple times I saw it because uh, it was clever uh, or just seemed like a funny phrasing to me. Uh, all the something, do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, like um, uh, I think you talked about in the the Onions Jack Reacher review. They said that the problem is that he's good at all the things. Yeah. That sort of thing. He's the he's best at all the. Yeah, he's, I think the first one I ever yeah. read, um, someone was writing about something like being very sexy on TV or very steamy, you know. And mm-hmm. then when this was over, I wanted to smoke all the cigarettes, and I thought that was like clever. The first because it was yeah. the first time. Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, but now that it is such a common thing, it drives me nuts. Yeah. So then we are throwing down the gauntlet. I hope people are listening to this bonus episode. Yeah. Uh, to, to know what they can and can't say. I want to listen to all the bonus episodes, <laughs> which is true, by the way. Um, but uh, yeah. Because bonus episodes. Oh, um, oh. doesn't that it is just... <laughs> this. Um, doesn't, doesn't it just sound terrible just coming out of your mouth? Yeah. It's like, because bonus episodes. Yeah. Because BP. Like, it's just such a... It's like, it started out as, again, not particularly clever, but it started out as its own type of commentary on getting to the essence of something and kind of taking a shortcut. Yeah. And then it just became a shortcut. Yeah. And then people put it out there as though it were clever. And it's just, and the other thing that, the other thing that gets me, this is not a cleverness issue. This is something that pops up on Facebook. Uh, Various websites will say, they'll give you a setup and then they'll say, what happens next will blow your mind. Yeah. <laughs> and I clicked on one of those. I, I clicked on like one or two of them when it first started happening several months ago. And um, admittedly, some, some of it was mind-blowing. Uh-huh. Um, but I so hated that. It's like, it's like, what are you, a fucking carnival barker? <laughs> and it's like, it's like, all right. I, so now anytime something says that, even if it's something that's like, that's an interesting premise, I'm scrolling down. I'm, you're not going to get me. <laughs> With like that is it's like the oldest trick in the book. It's like it's like uh, you know this woman you know this this woman uh, grows as much hair as a man. Step inside, you won't believe what your eyes. It has that quality to it, and I, I hate yeah. it. Okay, I'm so happy you you thought of because, because of that because yeah. that's the one that gets me. Well, you know, uh, 
Donald Glover, uh, who is a funny actor and a not very good rapper, um, has a couple of rap albums, and his most recent one is called Because the Internet, which I feel like is a a joke on that, which I I find very funny. Um, I wish that his songs were better. Anyway, um, let's get to the actual movie stuff. This is turning into a real episode. We're like half an hour in here. Um, So, but we and I saw pretty much all the same stuff today. Mm -hmm. Uh, Starting um, with the Warner Brothers panel, um, and the first movie there was Edge of Tomorrow. Doug Lyman's Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah. Formerly known as All You Need Is Kill. Uh, I talked about this um, somewhat uh, during the Comic-Con bonus episode slash recap episode. Um, but you didn't. You weren't at the Comic Con panel for for Edge of Tomorrow. Um, you were at right. Right. No. I'm sorry. Yeah. Not the Comic Con panel. Yes. Um, and so I, this is your first Edge of Tomorrow panel. Uh, yes, it is, <laughs> uh, and, and hopefully not my last, David. Um, yeah. It's. Uh, and I, I was running a little bit uh, a little bit late, so I actually oh, right. I actually didn't see really any of the trailer. Uh, yeah. And, it and so to this day, I haven't seen. Uh, a full trailer. I don't know anything that it, it's about. Okay, so it's a ben- it's eventually a science fiction war type version of like Groundhog Day, oh, okay. where Tom Cruise uh, plays a, um, uh, a a guy who is essentially sent into a battle on a suicide mission as a punishment for having deserted. Okay, um, and um, so it's this battle against aliens because it's a future sci-fi thing but it's sort of a normandy type invasion yeah uh and then he dies immediately and then wakes up the day before okay and so and every time he goes into battle he gets killed and wakes up again yeah and so then he meets at one point emily blunt who actually believes him and uh then they start so basically he every time he goes and dies he comes back meets emily blunt and they he trains. It's like source code. Uh, it's kind of like source code, yeah. So, um, he, yeah, he continues to train to get better at fighting and not getting killed and maybe beating the aliens that they're fighting against. That's the general premise of that. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, and it's, so it's Tom Cruise, Emily Blunt, and Bill Paxton plays the commanding officer. Yeah. Um, and Bill Paxton was the only guy on the on the panel, so I yeah. don't know if you can call it a panel. Um, yeah, because like it, it's it veered away from Edge of Tomorrow. I'm going to say immediately. It really did. I mean, there, which doesn't bother, especially me. once it got to the audience questions. Yeah, um, it really did turn into. So yeah, I will say I'm interested in Edge of Tomorrow. I yeah. like. I haven't liked everything that Doug Liman's done, but I'm interested in what he does because uh, yeah. I like him as a director. Um, but the panel itself turned into sort of a retrospective on the career of Bill Paxton. Yeah, which I loved. Well, okay. Uh, I did too, to a point. It's a retrospective on the career of Bill Paxton as seen through... Okay, here's the thing. I love Comic-Con, and I love WonderCon. I love the vibe here. I'm going to be writing a blog about it. Like, I'm very, I, I do Although, love it. Do you see... So, okay, go ahead. Finish your thought. Sorry. But I tend not to like Q&As. Um, I tend to hate all audience participation, which require... Like, any anything that... like. It, if, if they say trivia questions and an audience member says the answer, that's basically the only way I'm ever okay with audience <laughs> participation. Um, and so, uh, so that's the thing. Is like it's not actually a retrospective. It's a retrospective on the things people know about. They did not talk about. It. And it's and here's the thing. It's worth noting. And Bill Paxton, like he was very nice and said, 
He's like, you know, you guys have been great to me. He was more than nice. I feel like he was, and I, I don't want this to sound um, mean. I feel like he was pandering a little bit, but in oh, a way sure. that I respect. Like that he, I like that he respects the the genre loving geek audience. Absolutely, you know, uh, he and he wasn't talking to, and yeah. yeah. And so it's, and he clear, he just seems like a very generally good natured guy, which I like. But even he, at some points, I was like, you know, it's like, it's like people, they all. They, they usually just talk about like aliens and weird science. It's yeah. like, you know, I did a simple plan <laughs> yeah. and I was like, yeah. And you did, you know, one false move, which is probably my favorite performance of his, you know, he did a yeah. movie called traveler that I loved. I never saw know? traveler. And it's just like, I mean, I'm glad somebody brought up frailty. I know you're not a big fan of it, but it's like, he is also a yeah. director. Yeah. And so they um, mentioned, and they also mentioned like the same person mentioned the greatest game ever played, just not by name. Right. He said the two movies you directed, which is frailty and the greatest game ever played. Yeah. And so like, so it wound up being the kind of thing, and this this does happen at, at Comic Con from time to time. Is I love the vibe, and it's and it's a very positive vibe. But the sometimes the nerd in me and the film student in me uh-huh. conflict. Right. <laughs> the film student in me is like, I want to talk. I want him to talk about his character yeah. for uh, one false move. But this is never going to happen here. Yeah. It, 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 it's the same thing when we get to how I... Well, we'll, we'll talk when we get there. Okay. Um, there's a, another thing that happens with the questions uh, is people getting the mic cut off on them if they're going off topic or... Oh, okay. Uh, you, you saw it happen a couple times today. Did yeah. you stay with... You there for the last one where that one guy kept at the, the Deliverance from Evil where the guy... He said that... Olivia Munn was sexy, and then they immediately cut off the mic. Huh. Um, and then he... It was like any time... I, I don't know if it's about getting off topic or about subject matter, because then it also happened when they were, the guy was asking Joel McHale about uh, the women that his character has slept with on Community. Okay. You know? And yeah. got the mic cut off. And I always think, like, that... These questions that they're not allowing them to ask um, sound... Like, they might be more interesting than the questions people actually ask a lot of the time. Oh, yeah. And uh, uh, I should specify, um, you, I believe you and Mike Schmidt have mentioned doing this from time to time. Uh, I, you know, you see the, the person walk up to the mic. Uh-huh. You hear them start, and I will be like, I'm not going to like where this is going to go. Uh-huh. And I will cover my ears, and I will act like I'm trying to pop my ears so that I do not hear their actual question. Then I will unplug them when it comes time for the response. And I'm like, I can... I, and I'm usually pretty good at figuring out what the question was. Oh, that's funny. I don't do it every time. Every once in a while. And so that guy... I should do that. I miss that guy. Okay. That's good really shitty of me to say, by the way, but it, no, it's, I, it's, it's, it's how good. I get that's through... good for you. It's how I get through this kind of thing. Um, but I wanted to mention the final question asked at the remakes panel was... I'm sure the kid was just nervous, so I don't want to sound like I'm making fun. Yeah. But his question was, in your opinion... What's your opinion of the Evil Dead remake? <laughs> Which is a weird question to, yeah. to, to answer literally. Because now the like, question has changed. Which is, what do you think you think of this movie? <laughs> it's, like, it's like, I think, honestly, in my opinion, I'm just saying what's going to make me popular. <laughs> All right. Um... <laughs> okay, uh, so that's Edge of Tomorrow. Um, very excited for it. Next was Into the Storm. I don't have much time to spend on this. Uh, yeah. You know what? One, I got one thing out of it. Well, no, sorry. I got two. One is that 
Richard Armitage, who's in the Hobbit films. Thorin Oakenshield. Thorin Oakenshield. He went out. He's, he's by the way, he's a very, he's he's a very dashing presence uh, on stage. Like, yeah. you get him out of the makeup. Like, he definitely has a future as like a solid leading man. I think, and and I think yeah. I think he's pretty good in the movies as well. And he, had, he had a very simple white shirt, dark tie, black leather motorcycle jacket look going on that I yeah. respond to. And uh, so he sat down, and then when the moderate, moderator asked him a question, um, like he started talking. And it's like, even though people cheered for him when he came out, it's like the minute he started talking, they remembered, oh, right, the guy from The Hobbit. And they just started cheering. He didn't say anything particularly notable. Yeah. He didn't even, they didn't even let him finish what he was saying. He continued talking, but like they started cheering when they're like, oh, right. Yeah. We forgot between when we applauded for him when he came out and right now that that's the guy from The Hobbit. And that it was so interesting. Yeah. Like it, we do sound like we're making fun and I feel bad about that. I, yeah. I do love Comic Con, and these and these people's enjoyment and their their fan quality is what makes it so fun. Um, so I don't I don't hate that. But um, but uh, and the other thing that that got me I know it sounds strange, but uh, I, we saw the trailer for uh, Into the Storm. I don't care about the movie in the long run, whatever. But it's just uh, it's, the sa- the sound design was really good. Okay, and. Uh, and I and I had this thought of, and even the trailer is kind of structured or whatever that was. It's it's longer than a trailer, I think. Like the promotional thing was actually yeah. even structured in a way where it starts with sound before yeah. there's visual, and and it just it kind of once again it reminded me. It's like this like this could this movie could go from a typical disaster movie to almost a horror movie based entirely on its sound design because at times it seems like these tornado things are alive and stuff like that. So it just reminded me of that. The movie itself looks like shit. Yeah, uh, it's, for those who don't know, it's a essentially Twister. It's a tornado movie. Yeah. Multiple tornadoes. And essentially it's... Uh, it's like a gang of tornadoes breezes into this city on their motorcycles. Yeah, it's a town, a small town. Yeah. Uh, but then it gets to city because at one point it's at the airport, so yeah. it gets to like a city type of. That area. visual was kind of neat. I like but that. It, that reminded me uh, again. I'm quoting the jokes I make on Twitter because I think I'm just so funny. But um, it's essentially like Sharknado, except instead of sharks, it's everything imaginable. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's one part where it's the tornado is literally picking up jets, yeah, uh, uh, off the tarmac and yeah. flinging them around. And that's the thing. I'm I'm a sucker for something like seeing something that you don't see every day. The reason you don't see it every day is because it's probably impossible. <laughs> yeah. But um, but seeing that was, you know, it's yeah. like, oh wow, that's really that's that's a powerful tornado. Yeah. That's what what I came away but, from it. Uh, the other. Uh, oh, and one last, not one last thing, but this this could go over any number of these. Uh, Drew McWeeny. Uh-huh. Uh He's a good uh, moderator. I, I'm like, him all, I like him a lot. Yeah. Um. Yeah. He was he he moderated in a, a couple of these panels. Yeah. Um. You were going to say one more thing before I interrupted. I'm sorry. Oh, then, at, like, after the two minutes of footage, which was mostly just footage of CGI effects. Yeah. And then they bring up the cast, and I was like, oh, so I guess there's people in the movie, too. Yeah. Like, they had to have a script and everything, and yeah. they, people had to, they needed people to say lines, because you didn't get any sense of that in the trailer. Yeah. And they, and they talked about, like, you know, doing some things practical, which, of course, they would have to. And the actor's talking about that. It's like, wow, that sounds rough. I didn't see any of it. Yeah. I saw no evidence that anything was practical. <laughs> yeah, it looked pretty fake. All right. Um, and then what was the final... Uh, oh, Godzilla. Yeah. This is tied for me for most for best panel of the day. Yeah. We'll get to the other one later. 
but it was uh, not a not a big panel. It was just Gareth Edwards. Yeah. Um, and they showed a uh, longer uh, a scene. They showed. I never know when they show a trailer if that trailer exists already because right. I don't watch trailers. Yeah. So whenever I see a trailer at Comic Con or WonderCon, it's generally the first time I've seen it. Uh, so I don't know if the trailer they showed is the trailer that already exists. I believe so, yes. It is. Okay. Uh, but then they also showed um, a scene, which is... Yeah. Well, and scene isn't even the right... A sequence. An sequence extended better, sequence. Yeah. yeah. Which was... If anyone did happen to see... Be at Comic-Con or see the Comic-Con footage uh, from last year, it's... The, it, it, it ends with essentially what we saw at Comic-Con last year, but includes... I mean, how long would you say that was? Four minutes, maybe? Maybe even longer. Even longer. So it has a whole lead-up to that with a lot more a lot more people acting yeah. Um, than what we'd seen at Comic-Con and more sights of the monster... I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what constitutes a spoiler or not. Yeah. Um, it, it was a spoiler, you know, not a spoiler, but like... It, it surprised me. That there I was... didn't. I didn't know they were going to do what they did. Okay. Um, and I was kind of excited by it, you know. Um, and I think you could tell actually by the crowd's reaction that they didn't know either. Okay. Um, I guess so, I mean so I did because I saw it at Comic Con last right. year. So I some some people must have done. Yeah. Anyway, um, but uh, I, I don't know what else to say about it except that it was really awesome, and I hope it is indicative of the movie as a whole. Well, he's, you know, he, he mentioned, uh, Gareth Edwards mentioned the various movies that kind of influenced him, obviously, Godzilla, but, like, um, he mentioned Jaws, among other things. And I feel like he has, I, re- I, I only recently finished watching Monsters, which I really liked, and he, if he is a master of anything, based on that and the, the, the sequence we saw here, he is a master of the reveal. Like, uh-huh. it's like, hint, hint, hint. Partial reveal, full reveal. Right. To the point where it's like, you've seen everything surrounding this thing. Yeah. To the point where you're like, okay, I, I think I'm emotionally ready to see this now. Yeah. And then there it is. Yeah. And like, it's, it's I mean, timed this, out this exactly footage, right. We see the foot first. Right. Oh, no. Well, first we see the scales. In the water. Like the, I guess, fins coming out of the water. Yeah. Then we see its foot, and then there's the flare signals that light up a section of its torso. Yeah. You know, and then finally we see the whole, like, it stands up and... Yeah. Or I guess it's a he? Godzilla's a he? I think so, yeah. So he stands up and uh, lets out a, a big bellow. And yeah. It's... It's... It is... It's it's a little money shot-like. Yeah. Um, as it should be. It's, or one could also say, like, a hero shot. Uh-huh. Um, and it really... Uh, I mean, there was like a stirring in me. Yeah, I, and uh, I wasn't even like a big Godzilla person growing up. But like when you see it, like it's just and and I'm you and I talked about this at dinner that like when it, it ends with the full reveal of Godzilla and he yell you know lets out his his mighty roar uh-huh. and then the clip was over. And then Gareth Edwards said, and people are cheering, and he said... Oh, yeah, people were cheering longer than anything oh, yeah. else all day. It yeah. was, yeah, huge response. And so, you know, lights come up, and he says, he says, and that's why we make movies. And it's it's almost a cheesy line, but it's this idea, it's like... It's like, he seemed to be enjoying it. He, he seemed to be enjoying what he was watching as much as the other people. It's like, well, he knows everything. He made every decision that's uh-huh. there. Um, but he... And and throughout the 
the discussion, like he made it clear, like he makes movies that he wants to see yeah. that mean something to him. And so when he sees them as they're finished, he can enjoy them because yeah. he made a movie that he would want to see. And I think to go back to Bill Paxton talking about how he chooses movies and how much, how the number one thing for him is who's the director hmm. and not only what have they done before, but if they're a first time or what's meeting them and getting their passion. I feel like both those guys, Bill Paxton and Gareth Edwards are guys who, think about movies in the same way that you and I and probably a lot of the listeners do. And I think that's why I'm so excited for Godzilla that it yeah. came from this guy. Uh, and I, th- I'm, I hope it's a hit. I do too. I mean, I, well, I, first, I hope it's good. And yeah. <laughs> as good as the footage suggested it was. Yeah. And then if it is good, I hope it's a hit. I, I feel like it will be. It's just, it's one of those things because everyone knows what Godzilla is. Everyone is very aware that the Roland Emmerich film was not satisfying. Nobody, to my knowledge, nobody who saw it liked it. I think it made money, but I don't. To my knowledge, nobody actually liked it. And so now it's like, okay, we've got modern effects. Mm-hmm. It's Godzilla, and then in the in the trailers, like the trademark roar is let out, mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, this one looks like it's a little closer. I, I think we're ready to see this. You know? Yeah. It's and that's the thing. And some some people could say like, yeah, but Pacific Rim didn't do well. It's like Pacific Rim. Is not Godzilla, right? At the very least, based on title, also, people know what Godzilla good. is. It also apparently wasn't good, according <laughs> to some. I, I still haven't seen it. Okay, so that's Godzilla. Um, I don't have much to say about How to Train Your Dragon Two because um, I never saw the first one. I saw the first one. It's delightful. I never understood why people love it as much as they do, and I never thought that it deserved a sequel. My impression of why people loved it um, from just from listening to people's reactions, not mm-hmm. having seen the movie, but a lot of the talk was about the three D. Um, okay, fair enough. And I didn't see it in 3D. I bet the flying looks good in 3D. And, and that's what they were saying, that it was, uh, you know, and that was, what, 2009, 2010? Um, yeah, around there. Yeah. I mean, that was right at the way where suddenly they were making everything in 3D and they were post-converting and 3D was becoming uh, oversaturated, you yeah. know, and um, the talk was that it's a movie that actually uses 3D to enhance the experience. And, yeah, I, and, I could definitely see that. Um, so that, I mean, that was a lot of the talk that I... And they even mentioned after they showed the footage, you know, that... Uh, was it the director, N.J. Baruchel? Is that yeah. who the director said? And right, the writer even, director, yeah. Yeah, he said that wasn't even in 3D. Um, anyway, uh, I wanted to mention, uh, before we move on, about Jay Baruchel, um, sort of like how you want to ask Bill Paxton about One False Move, mm-hmm. or want to hear someone ask him about One False Move. I want to hear someone ask Jay Baruchel about hockey, because he's a huge... Hmm. Montreal Canadiens fan, and they're in the playoffs right now. And a part of me is like, someone figure out a way to ask him about the Canadiens. Uh, and isn't and it, isn't it weird that neither of us thought like, hey, we should go up and ask a question? <laughs> yeah, no, like, I'm, I'm not doing that. Yeah, no, because never thing, ever. If, if I were to go up and say like, hey, a favorite movie of mine of yours is uh, uh, One False Move, then I would worry that people like be like, oh, I get it. You're trying to show them that you you're a real fan. It's like, uh-huh. no, it, I. This is what I want to talk to him about. Like, it's just, I feel like it would come across wrong. So. Yeah. Okay, um, why don't you talk about Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, because I, not having seen the last one, uh, went to get nachos. Okay. Uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes is a, is, a good, is a very good movie. It wound up being way more effective than I think anybody, including me, thought it was going to be. Um, it is not perfect. There's some, in, there's some kind of odd choices in there. Um, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, I remember being like, okay, well, it's probably going to be pretty good. I, I think I'm going to enjoy it. And then I saw the trailer. I'm like, okay, this looks this looks pretty good and, and fairly intense. 
they showed an extended trailer that looks really intense and it does seem to under it really seems to explore like yeah what would it be like like imagine if because the last one ends with like a big plague um that wipes out a good portion of humanity and like imagine if let's say three quarters of of humans were wiped out at the same time that like another species comes to prominence and now there's a there's the potential for this other species to win, and we humans are going to be gone. Mm-hmm. Like, how scary is that? You know, and this seems to really grapple with that. And but there is a there's a scene, at, so extended trailer, and then just a scene in which this one ape that we haven't seen, you just see kind of the, just these two guys like sitting uh, in an abandoned building, and they're two like, human guys, two human guys, okay. uh, and they're drinking, and they've got automatic weapons and at the end of this hallway an ape comes up and just like starts walking towards them and is being kind of goofy and silly and they're like and you know they're aiming their gun at it and that kind of thing and then like it sits down next to them and it's and it's very jovial and Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing uh and then it actually like it doesn't talk but it basically like asks for a drink and so they give it a drink and it does that uh, and then, like, it it lunges and gets one of their guns. Uh-huh. And then, like, stands looking at them, and you just see the ape's face change. And you realize, like, oh, this is... Like, you come to realize, like, oh, these are animals. And they are intelligent, but they have an animal instinct. And you realize, like, oh, uh, like, an angry-looking ape is frightening. Yeah, and, very much. And that, scene <laughs> is, and that scene is really intense. Um, and I don't even know these characters, but it's just like suddenly this ape has this gun and it's just looking at them and suddenly any kind of jovial thing is gone and it's just looking at them. And I won't say what, what happens after that, but it's like if the rest of the movie has the same tense quality, same tension as that scene, it's going to be like great and almost hard to watch. Like I'm, I'm really excited for it. No, um, I was from what I read about the movie. Okay, I, again, I didn't see the footage. How many was there? A lot of were there a lot of humans in the footage? Because my understanding is that in the movie itself, mm-hmm. it's maybe half an hour before the people even show up. Yeah, which I love. Like they kind of the director. I almost I'm kind of bummed out at him that he that he spoiled it a little bit in the trailer. You do see like small bands of people. Uh Um, So I guess it's spoiled either way. But I like the way he described it, which is like you spend 20 minutes just hanging out with apes as, and you see their society and how they live. Then they come across a human and then the nature of the film changes. And then it like, it kind of implies with the first 20 minutes, they're like, okay, this, I guess, I guess it's over. I guess they've taken over now. And, um, and so, uh, so yeah, in the in the trailer it showed uh, bands of people, but certainly not very many of them. And then, you know, and Gary Oldman played a pretty prominent role and that kind of thing. So and Carrie Russell was in it too. Yes, uh, who I uh, love, I'm a big Carrie Russell fan. She was in Waitress, right? Yeah, I really liked her in Waitress. Well, Mission Impossible Three. She's not in it very long, but she makes quite an impression. She does. Yes. Uh, and you're you're not watching the Americans, but you you ought to be. It's great. I know. I I really want to, but. Um, yeah, so I, I'm that is one that I'm along with Godzilla, 
I'm really looking forward to Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Okay, uh, moving on to the Maze Runner. I don't have much to say about this. I didn't like it. I didn't like the footage. I didn't uh, see the footage, but I did see the trailer, and it looked inter- it looked fine. It looked interesting, sort of. Um, I like the premise. Uh, I like the idea. I don't of, like it. It's just so. It's sorry. It's it's self consciously high concept to, to me. It's uh, like it, I guess. Let me ask you. Here's this. how I felt if, about if they were all because, to my knowledge, every character in it is a is a teenager. Uh-huh. If they were all adults, would you have as much of a problem with it? Um, would it then just seem like a regular sci-fi movie? I still think I would have a problem with it. I might not have as much a problem with it only because the high concept, uh, everything's bleak and sci-fi dystopia with teens is a genre into itself now. Yeah. And every time one comes out, it feels like it's just catching in on the genre. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know if you read my review of Divergent, Mm. um, but I, uh, really, I really didn't like Divergent. And I do like the Hunger Games movies, and yeah. I talked about the exact reason why, which is in the Hunger Games, the backstory of um, you know the war and the division between into factions and and how that works and how yeah um, or what are the, they're called districts the division of the districts uh, how that works how that benefits the capital like. It's never there's never a scene where someone sits down and says, "Okay, here's what happened in this world and how it got yeah. here." But it's all hinted at, and it all seems to be logical and work to create an actual history that you can piece together, and it makes some sense. And and the world and that history is ingrained in the character, right? Whereas Divergent, uh, the, you know, it it just seemed like they made up some sort of oh, there was a war and a nuclear thing, and we started over in a way, and that's why we have these factions. Yeah, um, it didn't seem to have any of that history. Yeah. Uh, and my my impression of the premise of Maze Runner, which is that kids, teenagers get, I guess, abducted or something. We don't know where they come from. But they have their memories wiped, and they wake up, and they're in a, they, and then they have to find their way out of a maze every day and, or something. Uh, and it is it is definitely a high concept, but at the same time, it's, it's the kind of high concept where it's like, okay, well, it's... Here's the thing. It's based on a young adult series there's apparently right. a lot of death in the series but like oh, okay i guess there is in hunger games as well yeah. but like i w- i would be much more excited about it if it was a standalone movie because then it's like yeah. then it's just like you know edge of tomorrow or something right. like that yeah yeah um but knowing that it's a series it's like okay well if i were to see it and i might it seems like the kind of thing that jen and i might might like i'll i'll probably wait for the reviews but um you know, it's it's like okay, all right. It's if I commit to this, I gotta. I guess I'm committing to let's see, three books, depending on how it does, three or four films. Yeah. Uh, it's just like, and I just, it'd be nice if it was just a standalone thing. Yeah. And because yeah, I'm not, and because I'm not a, a young adult reading these books, like I didn't know that Divergent was based on a series. I probably fig- I probably could have figured yeah. it out. And with this, it's the same deal. By the way, they've already, speaking of three or four films, they've already announced that Divergent, the third book, is going to be two movies. Um, and uh, I, so I'm wondering, I wonder if Maze Runner will be a Divergent or Hunger Games type of uh, series we get, or if it will be like something I saw at last year's WonderCon, the Mortal Instruments City of, what is it called, City of Bones or something? I think so, yeah. Um, which is based on a series of books, but they're, won't be a second movie because yeah. it didn't do very well. And that I don't mean to make fun. I'm sure a lot of people worked very hard on it. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm wondering if Maze Runner will 
get its sequels. Hey, they made a sequel to Percy Jackson. And to they my sure knowledge, did. that one, yeah. the first one didn't do well. So okay, knows? now you didn't see any of the the, the surprise panel uh, of for for Fox was um, Matthew Vaughn's Secret Service. I just, I saw literally none of it. Okay, um, it, it was a surprise. There's some speculation that maybe they threw this together to cover for the fact that Brian Singer wasn't there for X-Men and they were cutting down how much time they were spending on X-Men. Yeah. Um, but they had a full scene with, it seemed like, completed visual effects. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it... I, I don't know. It, 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 that, that, thing, that thing doesn't work for me. Matthew, it's Matthew Vaughn pairing up with Mark Miller, mm-hmm. so it's the kick-ass team back together. And I never saw kick-ass because it didn't appeal to me. It has its moments. Well, I feel, and I feel like what I saw here was basically the same sort of thing. Uh, I mean, it's Colin Firth, which is great. Yeah, he's a you know he's a great actor, and uh, he's playing I guess the sort of the Obi Wan, the mentor uh, role. Um, who he belongs to a sort of. It's not about the, uh, the U.S. Secret Service. He belongs to a Secret Service of British, I don't know, agents um, who do stuff okay. for the country or whatever. Uh, and he's recruiting the son of an agent that was his friend who had died. Okay. Um, and that the son was smart but had uh, dropped out of the military and turned to crime. It was sort of a uh, – he's not, you know, uh, not doing the best with his life, I guess. Uh, and so the scene is Colin Firth and this guy uh, in a pub and Colin Firth trying to talk some sense into him and – the kid is talking back, like, you know, uh, I wasn't born with your privileges. And they're having a conversation about class and stuff like that that was yeah. kind of interesting. And then a group of thugs came in and they say, you know, uh, I guess they have some beef with this kid, some sort of gangland beef or whatever, and they're threatening him. And Colin Firth very politely says, like, uh, I don't mean to disrespect your beef here, but we're in the middle of a conversation, so... Would you mind coming back after we finished our pints? Yeah. Um, and they say some rude things to him. And so and Colin Firth gets up as if he's like, okay, I'm going to leave, right? Walks to the door and then locks the door of the pub yeah. and turns around. And then there's a big action scene where he beats the shit out of these five guys. That sounds like fun. Um, well, it, it gets sorry. very silly and very cartoonish. As soon as the action starts, it becomes okay. cartoonish. It's not like... So it is like kick-ass then. Exactly. It's like the footage I've seen of Kick-Ass. Because it's not like Jack Reacher or Jason Bourne where it's a little bit heightened, but you still like feel like, okay, he's just really well-trained and this kind of seems like seems like there's some realism to this. It's clearly cartoonish. Um, the scene leading up to that was great because Colin Firth is great. Uh, yeah. and I'm, But it seemed to clash, the two parts of that one scene. So I'd, I'd like to see more of the movie, obviously, to um, have an idea of... How okay. this how this tone works because it seemed in the short scene we saw it was a little tonally unbalanced. But then there was a trailer as well that they showed that had a lot more stuff. But it was a lot of very quick cuts, so didn't get a very good impression of what this movie will be. Okay, so that's that. Um, the final thing for Fox uh, was X Men: Days of Future Past. I don't really have much to say yeah, about it. With but the uh, one of the writers and and also producer, uh, one guy was both of those. Right. Um, yeah, and we saw the, the trailer, which is just the internet trailer. Um, but then we saw basically the opening fight, the opening yeah. battle, which and that went on for about five minutes, maybe yeah. even longer. And uh, 
I I stopped caring about the X Men series. Uh-huh. I was I was super excited for the first one because it was 14 years ago. I was young, um, and I grew up with X Men, so I was excited about it. Um, X Men Two is I think one of the best superhero movies ever. Yeah. Um, I saw the third one, knowing Brett Ratner was directing, and be like, "All right, this is probably not going to be that great." And sure enough, I was correct. Um, I saw First Class and the Wolverine. So I guess the only one I haven't seen is X Men Origins Wolverine. Um, okay. But I see these with no real expectation that I'm going to like them, and that's mostly true. With Days of Future Past, it's like, okay, I'm aware of that storyline. I know it's very dark, and it could be good. And my, my immediately, I'm like, ah, they're probably going to fuck it up. Like <laughs> that, that was my first thought. Um, but watching, and then when I saw the trailer, I'm like, yeah, this looks like they're fucking it up. Um, but of course, a trailer can be different than a movie. And That's why. Can I? Okay. Can we put a pin in that? Real sure. Because something I, I, I think this came up when we did our Comic Con episode as well. The studios have become so savvy with what they're doing with the marketing with these conventions. Yeah. That we've lost some of. Basically, what they show is often just an extended trailer, or right. is just as it's just as misleading as a trailer would be. Whereas it used to be the best part about going to these panels was you would see a full scene. Yeah. Um, and that happens less and less. But um, um, X-Men, just like Secret Service, uh, I guess Fox did this right. They gave us both. They gave us scenes, yeah. but also uh, yeah. uh, trailers. And that's the thing. By showing that scene, I've never considered, like, I don't think I ever considered, like, Brian Singer to be, like, a particularly good action director. I love the Nightcrawler sequence. That's exactly what I was going to point that's, out. That's solid. Yeah. Um, and then when the the storming of the X-Mansion in X-Men 2 and Wolverine right. fighting the soldiers. That, that's not bad, but it's a little, you know, the enemies are pretty anonymous, and so it doesn't really matter that much. Um, but this one, like, so I was trying to, oh, right, sorry, the Disneyland fireworks just started going off. Um, yeah. But, uh, oh, got to keep that in mind. Um, but, uh but yeah, with this one, like the scene is, uh, it features characters we know, characters we've come to know, and they are dying. They are getting killed. That is the that is the nature of this story: is that mutants are being killed, like very efficiently, and they are not shying away from it. And there are some images that I found genuinely disturbing uh, in the footage I saw, and that fact made me interested. I was probably going to see it either way, but it makes me not merely interested, it makes me optimistic about... The the pessimism of the movie made me optimistic about it. So yeah. we'll, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I liked... Um, I don't have the attachment to the characters because I have seen fewer X-Men movies. But just as, as action, um, it reminded me of... It kind of reminded me of Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies in that mm-hmm. it was... You know the the height of like effects, and it has a certain contemporariness to it, but also yeah. it isn't overly overly slick. It has sort of a B movie feel the way yeah. the action is framed, you know, and the way the the camera occasionally will cant a little bit to one side or the other, yeah. Or you know the way it uh, it uses the frame in kind of an old fashioned. I, mean, I feel like what we saw was in one eight five as opposed to scope. I don't know if the movie itself will be in scope. Sometimes yeah. this marketing material is different. Um, but I liked the use of the Academy 185 frame, uh, and and the movement of the camera made it made it feel like 
it had its roots in the past in a, in a way that is, um, I think, positive. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's that's um, Fox. I guess we're getting toward the end here. I want to talk about the other, the other major panel for me. The other, tied with Godzilla for most interesting to me is Luke Besson's Lucy, which was yeah. a 30-minute panel that was all, you know. Yeah, and it's, and, in, it's worth noting that in both cases, it was just the director yeah. and nobody else. Yeah, and Luke Besson is a very interesting uh, person. I don't agree with everything he says, but he... Yeah. Uh, and he's uh, very charming. He's very, yeah, very charming and, and funny. And But he says that one of my favorite things was uh, during the Q&A, I guess... Well, he was asked, you know, do you think there's a certain snobbishness among critics who uh, think less of action movies than other types of movies? And his response was, I don't know. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> and I, uh, I kind of respect that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and there, there, were, there were a couple of things like that. But they also, uh, and this was like, so they showed a trailer, which I think was a trailer that already you can already see. Yes. Um, but then they showed, this was like old school convention type stuff. It wasn't like a slicky cut together thing. They showed two long just sequences of the movie yeah. um, that uh, really made me feel like this could be, I mean, they clearly went for the action part of it. Right. Um, so I'm hoping that it will have that there's more character stuff as well, but I'm feeling like this could be the return to the Luke Besson that I love from La Femme Nikita, which is I know uh, a lot of people talk about Leon the Professional a lot, uh, and rightfully so. It's a really good movie, but La Femme Nikita has always been my favorite Luke Besson movie, and this had that feel um, in ways both. Um, Subtle and very overt in that it's, you know, yeah. they're both about women kicking ass. This one's Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I enjoyed the panel as well, but I will say that, like, I was... Uh, there are things about the movie that I'm intrigued by. Um, primarily this idea that um, this character... It's about this, this uh, young woman who's kind of directionless, and then she gets basically used as a drug, drug mule, but then, mm-hmm. like, the... Drugs are put into her stomach, uh, and then like it is some sort of like fancy futuristic designer drug. Yes, and so, uh, but then like it ruptures and it causes her to be able to use up to uh, all all one hundred percent of her brain. Over the course right. of the it's, film, she gets she's able to use more. It's based on the the fallacy that we only use ten percent of our brain, which right. Luc Besson sort of admitted right at the beginning of the panel, like that he knows that's wrong. Right, that's you know. Suspend your disbelief. That's what the movie's about. Now, when the, now the the fallacy is like, I mean, we're using all of our brain. Yeah, that's yeah, that's true. But I think when people say that, they mean like we're only consciously using, like utilizing. I I, I don't really know what it means, yeah. but it's not. I think it's not mean, like ninety percent of our brain is laying dormant. That's not exactly. Happening. And it's like, yeah, not all parts of the brain are for conscious thought. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like it's like oh okay. It's like yes yes. This part of the brain. It is keeping my heart and lungs going without me making that choice. Yeah. So that's pretty good, I guess. But uh, I'm not too good with math. Maybe I could utilize it and, and get <laughs> like it's it is kind of a silly premise at times. But um, but it, it ends up giving her powers of like telekinesis and a lot yeah. of other really cool stuff. Yeah. But what? But the thing that you and I both responded to was this idea that as she gets smarter, um, sir, uh, he, the way he said it is that like. The higher your intelligence goes, or in, in, in her case, the higher her intel- intelligence goes, the things that make a person a person 
starts to go away. It could be like religion. It could be pers- kind of personality in general. Right. Um, and morality. Yeah, you, you basically become a computer. You become HAL 9000. Yeah, so she loses her empathy and yeah. therefore loses her morality. Yeah, and that's the thing. If they really explore that, I'm totally there. That sounds fascinating. And I feel like they but would because you compared, you compared some of the action to Bad Boys 2. Um, right. Because Bad Boys 2 is a movie that you and I have talked about where things are happening where clearly people, innocent people are getting hurt at, yeah. at the least, getting hurt, if not killed outright. Yeah. Um, all like left and right, but the movie yeah. doesn't acknowledge it. Whereas here, it's I different. don't care how lucky these guys are. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but this was different. I mean, we see her. I mean, she. Uh, yeah, I guess this is a bit of a spoiler. She shoots and kills that guy on the operating table because she looks at his charts and says he's beyond saving, and she kills an innocent. Like this is not someone who was trying to do her any harm. Yeah. He was completely comatose and yeah. she shoots and kills him so the fact that we're actually seeing it happen makes me think that he's not you know trying to paper over the morality of, of here's my concern though uh, like the fact of what's happening is is fascinating to me and i think her performance is going to be a pretty unmerciless uh sorry a, a, a merciless one but and while I think he's going to explore it to a point, I don't think he's going to – like somebody shooting somebody on the operating table mm-hmm. to make room for themselves, that is an act that I would venture to say I condemn. <laughs> yeah. um, and I feel like I, – I, I don't like the idea of a movie condemning its actions, uh, the, char- the actions of its main character, even if the character is doing terrible things. I, I don't want it to just be judging the character all the time. But I do feel like – Luke Besson is somebody who, more than anything, has an, a really strong sense, and he's correct, by the way, a really strong sense of some, of what is cool, uh-huh. like cool to see. Yeah. And in that sequence, there was a lot of laughter in the audience because we're like – laughter of like incredulous laughter. It's like, I can't believe what I just saw. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, that's the convention audience. They're all keyed up. So. True. true yeah. But I do think he leans into it. And so that's my concern is that it's such a great idea. And exploring it even a little bit I think is a step in the right direction. But my concern is that he will take these – like the casting off of morality and be like, doesn't that make her kind of awesome? <laughs> um, so that's my concern. But, yeah, the, we'll, but of we'll, course the action's done well. Yeah. Very well. We'll see uh, so. where it goes. Um, yeah, it looked very cool. Okay, so uh, that's it. Uh, the last one then is Sony's Deliver Us from Evil – which is a horror movie directed by Scott Derrickson, who made The Exorcism of Emily Rose, which is about half a good movie, yeah. and then Sinister, which I didn't see but I've heard good things about. I heard good things, yeah. yeah. I haven't seen either one. Um, so, uh, but this sounds like Exorcism of Emily Rose because in both cases they bring spiritual, specifically like spiritual warfare type stuff right. into a different genre, which I like. One, right, is, one is a court case, one is a police procedural. Yeah, I really do like that, the fact that this is a horror movie that's also a detective story. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, and uh, I, like the, I like a lot of the cast, you know, with, uh, with one major exception. Um, <laughs> I don't know what exception. I, I, okay, I'm a, I like Eric Bana. Yeah. I like Edgar Ramirez. Mm-hmm. I like Olivia Munn. Oh, okay. Uh, is that it? Is that all the actors well, on the panel? The I see what you mean, but... The casting, the choice to cast that person, I am intrigued by. Okay, we're talking about Joel McHale. Yeah. It's not a secret that I'm not a fan of Joel McHale, at least not on Hey, Watch This. Uh, Fair enough. He doesn't do as many movies, so it probably doesn't come up here very often. Um, 
I think he's good on community. And the idea, like, when it sounds like, what it sounds like to me is that the character's not, like, a good guy. And so the idea, but probably not a villain either, but, mm-hmm. like, he's probably just kind of a sleazy guy who's, I don't know, it's hard to quite understand what that character is, but I like the idea of casting somebody like Joel McHale who has a certain type of charm, but also is a genuine asshole at times. Because, I mean, the trailer we saw, was he... Was, was he? Did he have any lines in the trailer at all? Was he even in it? He was I, in it. I don't. Was he in it? I didn't see him. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe he wasn't in it at all. I know he didn't have any lines in the trailer. Yeah, and so, so I, and Scott Derrickson, he's friends with Joel McHale, like apparently very good, friends. very good friends. Yeah, and so they um, and he said that when he started writing the character of Eric Bana's partner, he started writing it with Joel McHale in mind. So it's like, well, that's got to be intriguing. Yeah, and so yeah, that could be. So that's the thing. So. Whatever I might personally think about Joel McHale, the decision is intriguing to me. So, and the movie itself looks—it looks, it looks um, fine. I feel like it's just there was some imagery they showed of, that was. There's some. Good I don't imagery. know if that was a red band trailer. I mean, there were some like not nudity or cussing, but there was some gross stuff. There's yeah in that trailer. I don't know what you can get away with in trailers these days. But uh, I guess what got me is like there are some interesting visuals, but as a trailer goes, it is among the more conventional trailers that we've that we saw today. Mm-hmm. Um, where it's just like okay, it's an exorcism movie. It's like there's some skepticality. Uh, skepticism is the word. There's sorry, <laughs> I, I believe there is a podcast called Skepticality. But anyway, oh, okay. um, it's like there's some uh, some skepticism here, and uh, but then the character is faced with this thing, and now he's uh, got a crisis. It's like all right, I've I've seen this in trailers before, mm-hmm. um, so it didn't. It didn't throw any curveballs my way, but the caliber of talent they have, I yeah. think, is is intriguing to me. Uh, and, yeah, I agree with that. And, I again, there was some graphic imagery that was graphic in a way that was interesting to me. Yeah. Um, I'm talking about the guy leaning backwards. That's uh, pretty rough. Yeah, I won't, go in, I won't say any more about that, but it was uh, pretty gross. And then there was one thing, like, I mean, anytime there's a horror movie... Usually, like, a child's toy will be something, like, creepy. And I usually roll my eyes at it. It's like... Yeah. Like, and I did it even at the beginning here uh, of the trailer where she's, like, playing with the jack-in-the-box. It's like, this takes place now, right? Yeah. Like, do eight-year-old girls really play with jack-in-the-boxes? And, like... Yeah. It's so old-timey. But then there's another one of her stuffed animals uh, that... That's great. In a very simple... Like, it, got, it gets to the heart of what makes for good horror, which is uh, simplicity. You know? Yeah. Which is why I think... CG is one of the worst things to ever happen to horror in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, because it, uh, it anyway, uh, it, it it takes away some of the restrictions. Uh, yeah. You know, and so uh, the thing that happens with her stuffed animal there is incredibly simple yeah. and incredibly creepy. Yeah. I mean, you heard the whole room react to it. Yeah. It, it is really creepy, and it's and you're right. Like CG, I feel like is something that certainly it simplifies in some ways the making of a movie because like, Oh, well we don't have to go anywhere. We don't have to do anything. Like we just, we can just create that in post. But like from a scare standpoint, like complicated things are not what's scary. What's scary is like this thing's going to kill me or (laughs) I don't know what's in the room with me. Like those are very simple thoughts Yeah, um, because they're very primal. And I feel like that scene understands scary. Yeah. So, 
I don't think I'm going to see the movie for, for a number of reasons. One is like I tend not to like movies like that, but also it's like eh, maybe I'll watch it on video in the middle of the afternoon or something. Uh, okay, that's it, right? Uh, yeah, tomorrow we're. Uh, I'm planning on going to see a couple of fun panels put on by uh, Warner Archive, which right. I'm excited about. Uh, thanks to everybody who came out for the meetup. Yeah, we already know all of you, so uh, you know <laughs> yeah. we didn't it was meet nice a lot seeing of, you. We make again. a lot of new friends, but yeah, yeah. Um, and just uh, and yeah, WonderCon has been uh, been a lot of fun, um, as I as I knew it would be. So uh, thanks for listening to this long bonus episode. Yeah, yeah, an, an actual bonus episode at this point. Yes. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye.